Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community, and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face. If not, on Zoom. We hope you will. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. When we've all been isolated and we've learned the patterns of isolation, uh, how do you rebuild community? We were up to our ears in a learning stage right after the pandemic, like, like so many were. We did realize that life on the other side of the pandemic, not like life before. And as we were doing that learning, we found out the temple would be selling their building and we immediately entered into a year and a half of searching and searching and searching and searching for a new home. And between the two of those, it took up every bit of spare bandwidth that we had. Now just before the pandemic, uh, late 2019, getting ready for 2020, our board and our staff had gotten together and laid out plans for what we would do in 2020 and we would begin to develop a strong focus on our children and on our teen ministry. And so we had outlined plans to help us better care for our young people during those critical stage, that critical stage of their lives, their developmental years, and then pandemic, and then searching for a new home. So we could not put planned and focused as we had uh, hoped to do into that very important priority, our children and our teenagers. And once I realized that we were going to have to defer those plans, I spoke to both Mariah and to Sarah. And I told them both, when we find a new home, first on our list is going to be developing our teen ministry. But between now and then, and then I asked them to do something. Now in the old days, when I was a teenager, healthy teenage groups that I was in, and then uh, after that, healthy teenage groups that I helped to lead were organized around two critical roles. One was the teen leader. That person's role was kind of like being a program director. It was usually one person. It was that person was usually outgoing, kind of fun, had a personality that fit that role, good at planning meetings and planning events and organizing retreats, creating the program, making the plans. But the other role, often more than one person, was much less visible. Did you all just lose the microphone? Is that me, Gene? One, two, three, one, two, three. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know what's going on. Not, it's, it's not here. Anyway, that uh, role, the second role, often more than one person, was much less visible. Now, way back in those olden days, that role was called teen sponsor. Nobody uses that word anymore, but that role was this. It was to be present when the teens were present, and it was to love them. It was to be excited to see the teenagers and let them know that you were excited to see them, and to ask after them, to ask after their well-being, and to watch out for signs that a teenager could use some attention and then to give the teenager that attention. And that role became the communal glue that made healthy teen groups, and was what made them healthy. So. 
I told Sarah about that role, and I told Mariah about that role, and I told them how transformative that role, that sponsor role had been in my life, and in the life of when I was the program director, what I saw happening with the teen sponsors, how significant that role had been. Sponsors actually turn out to be more impactful than actually the program director. So I told them, we can't start developing the program side, not yet but we can start the sponsor role and we could start that right now and I'd like you to do it. And when I asked her, she lit up. It was exactly what she wanted to do because it's exactly who she was and she did the role and she did the role very, very well. You ask our teenagers and you ask their parents. Sarah excelled loving our teenagers. When we are a fit for a role, we make it look easy when we do it, and Sarah made loving kids look easy. It came naturally to her because she is loving. She is accepting. She is affirming and caring. She is a natural watch over her and a natural watch out for her. Tomorrow we'll have a service and we'll remember Sarah together, but today let's think about how we are going to get through to the other side of this. How do human beings get to the other side of something this horrible? Well, this week, the week before Thanksgiving, for 30 years, I have always done a lesson on the same, same theme, on intentional gratitude. It's an ancient spiritual practice. It's a transformative spiritual practice. And it's an often neglected spiritual practice. So every year on this week, I return to intentional gratitude. Which turns out kind of serendipitous for us today because gratitude is one of the key ways that human beings get through something this horrible. What we do is we put the intentional into intentional gratitude. You've probably experienced a spontaneous moment of gratitude, something long awaited finally happens, a yearning that's long unmet is finally met, and when that happens, an interior sense swells up within us and we feel thankful, we feel grateful. And when that happens, it's wonderful. But that's not what I'm talking about today. Today I'm talking about the practice of gratitude. And it turns out that the practice of gratitude is actually even more powerful, especially during horrible times. What we're going to do tomorrow is stir ourselves to intentional gratitude, intentional thankfulness. And we will do it in the face of deep sorrow, deep grief. We'll do it while we are racked with sadness and loss. During our times of pain, our brains work hard to protect us. Consequently, we tend to put a lot of focus on our pain, a lot of focus on what hurts. We do that so that we can pay attention to our pain, so we can focus on how we're going to get out of pain. It's an evolutionary adaptation. It helps us survive. But in times of loss and sorrow, times of anxiety as we get very close to death, gratitude is also important. 
it's also effective in helping us survive and thrive. A whole bunch of research on this. We cope with our pain better. We are better able to regulate our emotions that could easily overrun us when we practice intentional gratitude. Now, I've been watching our community this week. I've been watching as we have been processing Sarah's loss, and I have been so proud of us. I've heard gratitude again and again and again. Grateful for Sarah, grateful for one another to stand with each other during our loss, during our grief. I've also seen gratitude's child because the child of gratitude is our service to one another, our care for one another, our support for one another. Because that's another thing that gratitude does in us. It points us toward caring for each other. It points us toward giving ourselves to one another. I saw a beautiful email this week, something along the lines of, Losing Sarah has made me so aware of words that I can sometimes leave unsaid. So let me say these words to you now. You can read them later. And then what followed was beautiful words of gratitude and appreciation. I've seen people taking seriously the role that community takes when folks in the community are hurt. I've seen people standing with John and with Tim and with Lori. I've seen them coming alongside, caring for Hawk. I've seen food show up in the fridge the day of. Children's books show up on the front doorstep, stories that help children process loss and process grief. I've seen people thinking long-term about being community after the crisis phase of losing Sarah is over. Thinking through how we will stand with John over the long haul and how we will support him in his new single dad life and how we'll stand with Tim and Lori and help them pick up the pieces. How we will help them raise this little boy Sarah loves so well. We could do this I've heard people saying, we could do that. I should follow through on this thing that we were doing already together with John. That's what gratitude does. It helps us process our own grief, it does. But it also turns our hearts toward caring for one another. We turn our hearts to gratitude in the darkness, and then our hearts turn us toward care and support for one another. It's the way human beings are. So what do we do now? We turn our hearts to gratitude in the darkness. Now that's an easier turn for us to make than it is for John or for Tim or for Lori. It's easier for us than it is for those in Sarah's most intimate circle. For them, the sorrow right now is overwhelming. For them, the whole horizon is filled with loss and grief. But we, we can practice gratitude on their behalf. We can turn our hearts to caring for on their behalf. Someday, you and I, we will be overwhelmed. And the community will need to turn their hearts to gratitude for us. Gratitude is an engine. It moves us toward healing. 
It moves us toward togetherness. It moves us toward mutuality. And we can do that. We can choose gratitude together. And we can do it now when things have gone spectacularly wrong. We can choose gratitude. We grieve, sure we do. We weep and weep and weep. And we turn our hearts to gratitude. And we create the environment of together so that we can be agents of bringing healing to one another, to Sarah's family. We cry our tears, we rail in our anger, we cringe with our anxiety, and we help one another choose gratitude. We remind one another of what is true and what is beautiful. We help one another be engines of hope in darkness. Gratitude does that. We help one another create space for healing. Gratitude does that too. We tell stories about what is true. We tell stories about what is beautiful. We tell stories about love and we tell stories about kindness and goodness. Again, we're gonna do that a lot tomorrow. Sarah gave us plenty to work with. Four practical things that we can do to become people of gratitude in the darkness. Write stuff down. Do like a gratitude brain dump and put it on a piece of paper. Wrestle into words what is noble and good, what is true and beautiful. Put it on paper. We did that at the vigil on Wednesday evening. What are you grateful for? Who are you grateful for? Write it down. Where is there beauty even in the darkness? Where is there hope even in the darkness? Seek it out. Write it down. Community, we can help each other do that. I've been so grateful watching you help me see the things that are true and beautiful. So brainstorm it, write it down. Second, talk it out. This is a good exercise for spiritual friends to do together. You know that thing Doug was talking about on Sunday where we were uh, remembering what is true and beautiful. Well, here's what I've been thinking about. Here's what I wrote down. Here are the things that I've put down. We do that, and when we talk it out, we deepen our experience of what is true and beautiful. A helpful tip, use the word because. I'm grateful for my dog becomes. I'm grateful for my dog because I see in her unconditional love. And I see how consistently she loves and it creates an aspiration with me, it moves me, it makes me desire because I would like to be that. I would like to be around that. I am grateful because we brainstorm, we write it, we talk it out, and then we say the words to the person. This is harder, because it's not a social norm. In fact, it's kind of uh, tacitly discouraged in our culture. We feel like saying the words to the person is syrupy, or it's sappy. Consequently, because of misuse, it feels weird. It's not weird, it just feels foreign. Sometimes saying the words to the person feels like we're posturing or pandering. It isn't, but that's how it feels in our culture where we've allowed that to suffer attrition. Let's not let that stop us. Let's work out how we could say the words without it being weird. There are ways, 
We just have to think it through, plan ahead, put some intentionality behind it. Say the words to a person. And finally, do something kind. One of the years that I did this intentional gratitude lesson the week before Thanksgiving, uh, the title was Gratitude is Action. Gratitude is a feeling, but actually that's not even the most important part of gratitude. Gratitude is lived out in the doing. So let's do something. Do something kind. Do something loving. Do something caring and something supportive. Put intention behind it. Put planning behind it. Do something noble and good. We lost Sarah. What do we do now? That's what we do. We grieve and we weep. And we practice intentional gratitude. Write it down, talk it out, say the words, do the thing. We're all aware what happens after a tragedy. There's an immediate galvanizing of the community. We surround those who are suffering. It's the crisis stage response. I'm very proud of us. We've done that part of this process very, very well. Thank you to the community care team for organizing us and pointing us in a pull together direction. Well done. And the next phase is much harder. It's the over the long haul response. It's harder because we can't sustain crisis stage response. I've watched us mount a Herculean, Herculean effort this last week not just a few people, many people. Love and care and support, and again, well, well done. But by the end of the week, I also saw exhausted people. Crisis stage is not sustainable. Absent an existing structure that's already in place, it is very difficult to do sustained over time. It's very difficult to do that phase of the response. Hawk is going to need a community around him for years. John is going to need us to stand with him for years. Tim and Laurier are gonna go back to Chicago for a short amount of time. They're gonna get their affairs settled. Then they're gonna relocate to be here to help John raise Hawk. They're gonna need a community to depend on for years. But here's the thing. We are that kind of community. We have that pre-existing structure already in place. We can turn to one another and we can mount a sustained effort over time. I was so happy to hear two different men uh, in the community say, you know, John's gonna need us. We did this thing X and we did this thing Y. You know, what we better do is follow up on that and keep following through on that. You know, I think maybe we just need to start a group so John has a group to be part of. I heard similar conversations with the folks who work with our kids, with neighbors. This is what Hawk's gonna need over the long term. An already existing integrated community that's how we sustain the effort that Sarah's family is going to need over the long haul. We're going to need community, and we are a community. So each of us in this community, it is then to us to continue working the circle, to keep becoming those kind of people,
people who are able to be interconnected, people who are able to be interdependent, to be the community each of us needs the community to be. So we keep being practice gratitude people, and we keep being self-awareness people, and we keep being awakened to the inner light people, and we keep being discern our purpose and meaning people, because that's what happens in spiritual community. We become those people by doing the practices together, by practicing things like intentional gratitude, or the communal and the contemplative and the learning and the serving practices. We keep becoming those kind of people so that we keep becoming that kind of community where we are interconnected, we are capable of mutual support over the long haul. We become that for times like this. We become that for one another, for Hawk, for John, for Tim, for Lori, for the years ahead of us, and for each other for the years ahead of us. So all that stuff I said that gratitude will do inside of us, just like all the other spiritual practices that do these things inside of us, they make us the kind of people that we can be where we can watch out for one another's needs over the long haul. I say every week when we come to the offering, we give our love and we give our time and our energy and our dollars, we give it to the community and the community then takes those resources, amplifies them and gives them back to us in the form of an environment in which we thrive. We have seen that this week and we will see that for years ahead of us, a regular rhythm of becoming, which then creates a regular rhythm of caring one for another. And so in dwelling divine, may that be. May that be that we do the practices, that we become the people. May gratitude do in us, may working the circle do in, in us what they do, that we can be the kind of community that each other needs us to be, that we can be the kind of community that Sarah's family needs us to be. Amen. Well, if you would, please prepare your offerings now. We all do that on our phones. So go to our website. Uh, at the top of our website, there's a donate button, lots of ways to give. And it is, as I just said, we give to the community. The community always gives back. That's how community thrives. I've been mentioning the cost of occupying this new space. You've heard the technology's a little weird still. This is just temporary stuff, so we're going to get us through until we get things installed. Again, let's carry that cost together. Again, at the top of our website. Now, those of you that are on the live stream, we're going to do What Are You Thinking here in the room together, and we would like to invite you to do the same. You can go find the, the link to that on our website on the front page. The password is the same each week, 1417. Once again, 1417. Uh, we're going to dismiss you. We hope you'll go over to there, and then we're going to open the floor here. As we dismiss those folks, if you would, please put your hand on your heart. And let's remember that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. We carry within us love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. They're in there because the breath of the divine, the inner light, is in there. 
And if you would, extend your other hand to our city. Let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and to heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. We are not dismissed. So what are you thinking about? What's going on in your heart? We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online. You'll find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you